be in Joshua chapter 23. And before I forget, uh, a couple announcements that people said to make sure I announce, and I forgot. Uh, I want to let you know a couple things here. First off, we've been announcing this. Uh, Ruth Gribble, who worships with us in the summer and spends the winters in Florida, her 90th birthday is coming up. If you're interested in sending her a birthday card, I have the information up here, and also the information is back on the back bulletin board, and you can go ahead and do that. Also, want to let you know, too, we are in need of a wheelchair. Uh, somebody out at church here needs a wheelchair. If anybody has a wheelchair or knows of a way to get a wheelchair, um, you can let, either let Pastor Rich know, or since Rich isn't here tonight, you can let me know, and I can pass the information along to him as well. So just some FYIs there. All right, Joshua chapter 23, and let's go ahead and do the smart thing and pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, just looking forward to this, to what you have to say, and uh, Lord, just a cold January night here, but uh, we're thankful for being inside, being warm, having lights, and just to be able to have the time here for the next half hour just to sit and learn about you. Uh, we all come in with tough days. We all come in with burdens. Just pray this next half hour is just a nice oasis, Lord, in your name. Amen. I was initially planning on taking chapters 23 and 24 and dividing them up into two lessons, but as I was working on the lesson, they flow together so nicely. So we're going to try to do both chapters here tonight, and if we do both chapters tonight, we will finish up our study in the book of Joshua. With that being said, we're at the end, and we're at the end of Joshua's life. Joshua is about 110 years old at this time. Joshua is one of the guys that came out of Egypt. He was one of the scouts. Joshua was a great military leader. Joshua was a great social leader. He was a great spiritual leader. Joshua is a wonderful, wonderful man when you stop and study him. The beautiful part about the book of Joshua is if you remember back to our first few chapters, Joshua also was a man that made mistakes. And those mistakes are in there. One of the things I've always heard about the Bible is how do we know the Bible's true? If mankind really wrote the Bible, they would not list their mistakes. Joshua's mistakes are in there. And, you know, there's no reason to not believe, and as you read here in Joshua 24, one of the things that the Lord has Joshua do before Joshua dies is to write these things down. If you ever wonder how did the Bible come to us, well, we know from Joshua's life, a lot of what is here is the Spirit led him at the end of his life to write these things down. Don't you think that'd be difficult for Joshua to start writing down, yeah, boy, we really screwed up at AI. Boy, we really messed that one up. But those are life lessons, as Paul wrote in Corinthians, we can learn from that. So with that being said, we see a lot of good in Joshua. We see some mistakes. But here's Joshua's final words. Imagine living your life 110 years. Imagine being through all the ups and downs of Joshua. You were a slave for decades in Egypt. You saw the, the plagues, the miracles that God did. You saw the Red Sea being crossed. You were Moses' right-hand man. You saw what God did in Moses' life. You got to lead millions of people. What's the final things you'd want to say? Well, this is what we get to hear. The last two chapters are Joshua's final words. So picking up in verse 3, actually, I like the beginning of his speech. We'll start in verse 2. Oh, well, let's go back one more, verse 1. Now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies, round about that, Joshua was old, advanced in age. Joshua called for all Israel, for the elders, for the heads, for their judges, for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced and aged. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who fought for you. Now we're going to stop a lot because we need to talk this. The first point that Joshua wants to make is God's done all this. 
you know how easy it is to let pride creep in? It'd be really easy for the nation of Israel to sit back. They've just conquered the promised land. Just 50, 60, 70 years ago, they were a nation in slavery. It'd be really easy for them to step back and allow the pride to come up of, look at what we've done. First point that Joshua wants to say to them is, it's not you, it's, it's me. It's all God. That's what it comes down to. And that's the one thing I always try to remind everybody, and I've been doing this a lot lately, is going to a passage in 1 Corinthians, where 1 Corinthians says, God has not chosen the wise of this world, but the unwise. And I always try to tell people, what do you have to offer the body of Christ? And the answer we're looking for is nothing. There's nothing you have to offer God. There's nothing I have to offer God. It's only Jesus Christ working through us. When you get that mindset that God does not need you, he just wants to work with you because he loves you, it really takes a burden off your shoulders. This is one of the things that Joshua is trying to say here in verse 3. Guys, it's all the Lord. He's done all of this. You haven't done anything. It's the Lord. Jump ahead to chapter 24. Just look at some of these phrases. Look at some of these phrases here. Um... Just go ahead and start in verse 3. Look at this. It says, I took your father Abraham. This is the Lord speaking. He goes, I did this. Verse 4, I gave Jacob and Esau. Verse 5, I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt. I brought you out. Look at verse 6. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. Verse 8, I destroyed them from before you at the end of verse 8. Verse 10, I would not listen to Balaam. I delivered you out of his hand. Look at the end of verse 11. I delivered them into your hand. Verse 12, I sent the hornet before you. God's trying to make a point here. Really, at this point, what could Israel say? Well, what what did we do? Remember one of the first studies we went through here was when they defeated Jericho. What what an anticlimactic battle. You march around the walls, you shout, you blow the trumpets, and the walls come tumbling down. What was the purpose of that? The purpose of that was for God to say, guys, you did nothing. And this is something that creeps in to the body of Christ, and this is something that creeps in to our lives as we start thinking we did something. I'm the only one that could lead that study. I'm the only one that could lead that worship. I'm the only one that can pray that way. I'm the only one that can minister to that person. Boy, the Holy Spirit can lead anybody. It's the Lord. Look at verse 13 of chapter 24. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyard and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, I don't think that's God being mean. Because so often, God, I think we get this picture of God of where he feels like he has to prove himself. Trust me, God's not sitting up there in heaven thinking he has to prove himself to anybody. He just really so clearly, verse 13, wants to remind Israel, he didn't do any of this. Nothing. Because God sees the big picture. Because you know what happens in the next book, in the book of Judges? It all goes downhill. Because Israel starts thinking that they did something. God says, I want to make sure you know you did nothing. It was all me. To God be the glory. Jump back now to chapter 23, verse 5. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God has promised you. See, that's a very interesting verse. Is that God says in verse 4, see, I've given you this land, but he says in verse 5, there's still some enemies there. See, here's the thing about Christianity. See, I think sometimes we think we arrived and the battle's done. tell you, the battle's not going to be done until you stop breathing on this planet or until God raptures you out. The fight's going to continue. They're in the promised land. They've inherited the promised land. But God says in verse 5, there's still little pockets of things that you have to keep fighting. See, 
in your marriage, it's a fight to keep your marriage strong. In your walk with Christ, it's a fight to keep your walk with Christ strong. Your witness, it's a fight every single day. It's a battle to say, okay, there's these little things in verse 5 that I have to expel. Every day of my Christian walk, there's something in my life I have to expel out through God's power to say, that little thought, that little compromise could bring me down spiritually later on. So I want to kick that thing out now in verse 5. See, Joshua is reminding them, guys, yeah, you're in the promised land, but just don't sit and do nothing. Realize you're going to have to keep fighting. You're going to have to keep focusing because there's still always going to be those little pockets. And this is what happened in the book of Judges, is they never took care of those little pockets. So those little pockets kept springing back up and pulling them down. These little things just kept bringing them back down. So he reminds them in verse 6, Therefore be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Now, keep your hand here because we're coming right back, but jump back, if you will, to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua 1. Because the first one of the first studies we did here in Joshua was just almost that exact same verse. As you're going to Joshua 1, let me just reread that verse to you. Therefore be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. With that mindset, now look in Joshua 1. Look here in verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Isn't it fascinating that when Joshua took over for Moses... Decades earlier, the same message that God gave Joshua, it's the same message that Joshua is giving at the end of his life. And how many times have we read in the book of Joshua that phrase, be strong and of good courage? That's the ongoing theme here. Now, why is that phrase repeated? And how many times have we said in our study in Joshua, why did God always tell Joshua to not be afraid? Probably because Joshua was getting afraid. That's just a fact. Why else would God say, do not be afraid, unless fear was starting to pop up in Joshua's life? I find it fascinating that now at 110 years old, Joshua in verse 6 is repeating the message that God gave to him again and again and again. Do you ever run into that spiritually where you feel like you're being hit over the head with a spiritual two-by-four and God is just repeating the same message to you again and again and again? Part of the reason why God is doing is that so later on in your life you can repeat that same message to somebody else. Anything you go through, that trial, that tribulation, that thing that you're running from, God says, wait a second, I'm going to use this for something good later on, so that way later on in your life you can say, hey, I've been down that path. I know what's going on in your mind and your heart, and this is what the Lord did to get it through to me. See, Joshua at 110, he sums up what God has told him decade after decade after decade. And isn't that verse great, verse 6? Be very courageous. Look at this, let's break it down. Be courageous, do what the Bible says, don't turn from it. Is that not just great parting words of wisdom? Stay strong in the Lord and do what God's word says, and you won't be in trouble. Why did Joshua say that? Why? Because verse 7, testing is still coming. Unless you go among these nations, those who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast 
to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. God says in verse 7, they're still out there. Those pockets of testing and trial and temptation, it is still there. So the answer is found in verse 8, hold fast. If you have King James, I think it says cleave, which literally means follow closely. It carries this mindset of your toddler clinging to your leg and not letting go. How often as Christians do we get in trouble because verse 8, we do not hold fast to the Lord. God comes right out and says in verse 7, there's pockets of sin out there. That's just a fact. Verse 7, they're there. Don't get involved with them. But instead, verse 8, stay right here. Stick with me. If you stick with me, I will get you through it. Look back in your own spiritual life. When you have gotten yourself into trouble, what happened? You quit clinging on to God's leg. You were the toddler that you thought you could do it on your own. So you start ambling off on your own. How many times have we talked about this? You know, people get so excited when little kids start walking. Layden is walking now, and I'm thankful for that. But a couple months ago when he was first into that walking phase, people say how cute it is when they do their first steps. I don't think it's cute in any way whatsoever. When I see kids doing first steps, I just see busted lips. I just see kids that don't have a balance and they're running into things. I see kids that stand up and then fall down. I see kids that I have to be one foot from them because they can't do it on their own. That's not cute to me. See, spiritually, God says, James, that's how you are. You think you can walk on your own. You can't. You're going to get a busted lip. James, you think you can do it. You can't. So verse 8, just cling to me. Just cleave. God's never going to shake you off his leg. He likes you right there. Just grab onto the leg and never let go. Because what happens when we let go, verse 7, those pockets of trials and testing and sin and temptation, they bring us down. It's a tough fight. That's why God also says here, look, jump ahead, if you will, to verse 9. For the Lord has driven out from, from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. See, now, it's careful. We see verses 9 and 10, and we start getting, yeah, I'm liking this. Verse 10, one man of me can chase a thousand. How can one man of us chase a thousand? Because God is he who fights for you. See, God says, you you can't fight a thousand people. He says, I working through you can fight a thousand people. When you cleave to me, when you stick to me, as soon as you let go of me, you can't do anything. There's something in Christianity I like to call victim mentality. I see people that are saved, but yet they never let go of that victim mentality. Oh, woe is me. Look at my past. Look what I've struggled with. Look at my present situation. Look at everything I'm going through. And they list everything that's wrong. I tell you, the verse that always comes to my mind is Romans 8, 37. God says you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. More than a conqueror. We have to let go of this victim mentality of how everything is wrong, everything's falling apart, life is always difficult, life is always tough. That's a victim mentality. Romans 8, 37. God says you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. As long as you, verse 8, hold on to the leg of the Lord, verse 9 and 10, you can take on a thousand. Because God is the one working through you. That's what Joshua is trying to tell them. Through these first ten verses, Joshua says, you guys haven't done a thing. The Lord did all the fighting for you. There's still pockets of trial, testing, and temptation. He goes, they're going to get you, 
But as long as you cling to the Lord, you cleave to him, he will get you through it. You can fight through this. Be strong, be courageous, be good. Imagine hearing Joshua give this speech and you're looking up at this man that's 110 years old that you know was in Egypt as a slave. You know that he was Moses' right-hand man. You know everything he went through. You would just sit there saying, yeah, I need to listen to this. This is wisdom. This is wisdom. Mo, excuse me, Joshua is trying to tell them, guys, keep your perspective where it needs to be. Now let's stop right there for a quick. Does anybody got any quick questions, comments about those first parts there? Because it kind of changes direction here a little bit as we go on now with the rest. Any quick questions, comments about anything here before we go on? Okay, now with that mindset there, Verse 11, therefore, and I always remember Jim Crager saying, if it says therefore, you have to see why it's therefore. So, verse 11 changes subjects here a little bit. Therefore, because God did all the fighting for you, because you couldn't do it on your own, because there's still pockets of fighting to happen, because you have to be strong in the Lord, therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. See, Joshua says, Love him. He's done all this for you. Love him. This is now where it starts changing. Joshua tries to remind them, guys, everything he's done for you, everything he's done for you, love him. Verse 12, or else if indeed you do, do go back and cling to the remnant of the nations, these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they into you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Joshua comes out and says, Guys, if you get your eyes off the Lord, the blessing's gone. This is, this is a phrase I use all the time out here. Don't expect God to bless something that he's not in. You know, a lot of times, and I don't mean to be judgmental, but if a couple ever comes to me and let's say they're involved in premarital relations, or if they're involved in living together or something like that, and they're asking for God's hand to be upon them, one of the first things I say is, hey, God loves you. There's no doubt about that. But God's not going to bless something that he's not in. If you don't make him a priority, how do you expect him to bless you? Or any type of ministry, any type of Bible study, any type of witness, unless you're putting the Lord first, why is he going to bless something that he's not in? And this is what Joshua is telling them. Hey, guys. Verse 11, love the Lord, but verses 12 and 13, if you go out and live a life of sin, what do you think God's going to do? The hand's going to be off you because you choose to leave. Did you catch this? See, jump back. What do we say? Verse 8, hold fast to the Lord, but yet what does it say right here in verse 12? What happens if they cling to the remnant of those nations? You only can hold on to one leg at one time. You know, you're either holding on to the leg of the Lord or you're holding on to the leg of the world. That's really what it comes down to. This is the black and white of Christianity. You're either saved or not saved. You're either walking with the Lord or not walking with the Lord. So what Joshua is saying here is either clinging to the Lord or you're clinging to the world. And if you cling to the world, there's going to be trouble. I mean, that's just Christianity 101. There's going to be trouble. Verse 15. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Basically, Joshua says, you know what? God's blessings, you're here. God's will, you're out of here. It's that simple. If you do what you're supposed to do, God's hand is on you, and you'll be spiritually fruitful in this land. 
You get your eyes off the Lord, God says, I'm not going to watch out for you anymore. Now, that sounds harsh, but isn't that really just love? I mean, is it really love to say, listen, I know what you're doing is wrong, but I really want to support your ill behavior? That's not love. Love is enough to say, look, I love you, but it's wrong. This is just a concept that is so true in the world, but it's also true in spirituality. How many times have we said this? If you plant beans, what's going to grow? Beans. If you plant corn, what's going to grow? Corn. If you plant seeds into your spiritual life, your spiritual life will grow stronger and deeper. If you plant seeds into the flesh, the Bible says you will reap what you sow. Galatians 6. So therefore, Joshua is saying, if you guys go back to the flesh, if you go back to the gods, if you go back to that false religion, if you go back to that false lifestyle, don't expect blessings to be upon you. He says, it will fall apart. Which now builds up to the whole point of Joshua's message. The most famous verse in the book of Joshua. Joshua 24, 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua says, guys, I'm dying, I'm old, you've got to decide what you're going to do. You can either accept the fact that God did all this for you, it's only by his grace and mercy you're here, you did nothing, or you can start thinking it was you and you can start serving false gods. Joshua says, I can't make the decision for you, only thing I can tell you is, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that verse. We have that verse up on our wall in our house, and I'm sure a lot of you do too. Now we know the background of that verse. Joshua says you've got to decide. He's on his death speech, if you will. Guys, he goes, what are you going to do? Are you going to serve or not serve? See, here's the thing. This verse carries so much weight. You realize what this verse is saying, verse 15. Joshua doesn't have the power to make him serve the Lord. Parents, how many times have you put energy into your kids trying to make them serve the Lord? You can't. They have to want to serve the Lord. How many of you have friends, co-workers, relatives, neighbors, etc.? You want them to go deeper in the Lord, so you do everything you can to make them go deeper in the Lord. They have to decide, verse 15, that they want to serve the Lord themselves. They have to make that choice. Just like you have to make that choice in your life, your witness, your marriage, your testimony, that you want to do it. Joshua says, I have chosen to serve the Lord. What do you guys choose to do is your choice. I have chosen to serve the Lord. What's their response? Verse 16. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from there before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Now stop right there. Great words. Problem is they didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. I don't know how many times when I've been talking to people, I ask them a question and I say, don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me the honesty, the, the truth. Because what I want to hear is, yeah, James, I want to go deeper. Yeah, James, I'm going to be there Sunday. Yeah, James, I'm going to go home and crack my Bible open right now and spend this evening with the Lord. That, that's what I want to hear. And you know what? If you tell me that, you're probably going to shut me up. And so people tell me that because it just makes the conversation go better. If we could just stop with verses 16 through 18, oh, it would be a great way to end the message. And let's just pretend the book of Judges never happened. Problem is, we know what happened. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord. 
For he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. Wow, that's pretty strong words. See, that's Joshua saying, listen, I'm 110 years old. Don't give me any baloney here. I know you guys. I saw you guys make the golden calf. I saw you guys give up on the Lord. He goes, I've seen it too often. He goes, I know your hearts. Your hearts are a heart that is fickle, that complains. Your heart is a heart that's going to jump from God as soon as you possibly can. And God's not going to put up with that. It's kind of one of those things where you reach a certain age, I guess there's no filter in your mouth. Have you ever noticed that with old people, they just say whatever they want to say? My goodness, talk to Rose for a little bit, and you just get the full picture. Just kidding, Rose. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Clarence, do you agree with that? Amen. There you go. I'm just kidding. What's that? You're busted, yeah. She doesn't disagree with it. I'm just kidding. Point is, Joshua doesn't pull any punches here. He, he says, I know you guys. Look at verse 21. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Verse 22, So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Joshua said, You mean this? Yeah, I mean it. No, do you really mean this? Yeah, we mean it. Joshua said, Okay, your words. You mean it. And how does he hold them to it? Verse 23, Now therefore he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. See, verse 23 is so key. That's why Joshua was being a pain. Because he knew in verse 23 they already had foreign gods. He already knew that the foreign gods have creeped into Israel. He already knew that that false teaching and that false religion had creeped in. And he says in verse 23, he goes, Give me your heart. Or I should say, give the Lord your heart. He says, do it. That word incline. It means to stretch out. It means to spread out, depending on your translation. New Living Translation says, turn your heart. NIV says, yield your heart. Joshua says, if you really mean this, give God your heart, but he says, also put some effort into it. Get rid of the gods. The person that wants to quit drinking, okay, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to stay away from the bottle. The person says, I don't want to, no longer want to look at that junk online. That's one thing to say. It's another thing to not do it. See, he says in verse 23, he goes, I want actions, not just words. Do it. And I guess what I'm telling you tonight is, same thing comes to you and I. Do you really want verse 15? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you really want that, God says, and it comes down in verse 23, he goes, give me your heart and get rid of the idols. When you give me your heart and get rid of the idols, then you and I can talk. God says, I want all of you. God does not want half-hearted effort. God does not want a casual, compromising relationship with him. He wants everything. Verse 24, and the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So 25, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made them for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. That's what we're reading right now. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone, it shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he has spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart each to his own inheritance. Basically, he said, every time you walk by this stone, this stone reminds you of the promise you made to God. 
Why do we wear wedding rings? We wear wedding rings because it shows the world we've made a commitment, a covenant relationship, and it reminds us of that relationship. The reason that stone is there is to remind them. And we talked about that earlier in the book of Joshua, memorial stones. And I, and I encourage you to get memorial stones. It doesn't maybe literally mean a stone. Maybe God has finally done something. You've made that commitment. Then you put, I don't know, put the sticky note on your fridge. Write it in your Bible. You do something as a visible reminder to yourself to say, I have made a commitment. I have made a covenant to God. I am not backing off on this. The purpose of that stone was to remind them. Every time they saw it, we made a deal with the Lord. Now, once again, it'd be nice to stop right here. We know what happens. We know what happens in the book of Judges. We know that when Joshua dies, they just go downhill. And you know what? Joshua probably knew that too, hence him being such a bear about this. But what else are you supposed to do? They made the deal. They made the covenant. God, Joshua said, that's your words. And just like here tonight, we, we could all sit here and say, you know what, are we making that same deal? Are we doing verse 15? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We could all sit here and say, amen, that's what I'm doing. It really doesn't mean anything unless you go home and do it. That, that's really what it comes down to. Unless you go home and you do verse 23, incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel and get rid of the foreign gods. That's what really matters. So I encourage you, if you feel any type of conviction of, okay, Lord, I want verse 15. I want me and my house to serve the Lord. Okay, then you also got to do verse uh, you got to do verse 23 there too. That's a package deal. And if you're in, a, in some type of situation in life right now, be it a relationship or just a state of mind or state of heart, where you know you're not supposed to be where you are with the Lord, you can't expect God's hand and blessings to be on you. He loves you. That's part of grace and mercy. He loves you. But just as we read here in Joshua 23 and 24, Joshua says, hey, guys, if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, don't expect the Lord's blessings to be upon you. People come in all the time to the office saying, why is my life this way? Maybe because you're not walking with the Lord. Maybe because there are situations going on in your life where it's just like, you know what? If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, God says, sometimes I allow these things to happen to get your attention. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up? I've got one final verse I want to read to you, and I want to read it to you out of the New Living Translation. I kind of like what it says here. This is out of uh, Romans chapter 12. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The reason I like this translation is because I like what it says right here. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Isn't that just so simple? Some of your translations say this is your reasonable service. When you really stop and you put it on the scales of life, what God has done versus what he asks of me, there's really not a comparison. See, Joshua was trying to tell the nation of Israel here, he goes, hey, just remember, you didn't win any battles. You didn't drive out the enemy. He goes, you didn't do anything. The only thing you can do is to serve and love them because that's all you can do. See, so often in our spiritual life we stop and we think, look at everything God has done for us. 
the most reasonable thing I could do is say, Lord, I give you my life. Lord, you gave me your life in the death on the cross. I want to give you my life back. And that is part of our worship, the Bible says, is our spiritual worship as we say, I will die to my flesh and my sin and my desires through the Spirit to serve you. Or as verse 15 says, as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've got to decide that's what you want. And when you decide that's what you want, God says, all righty, let's open the doors and let's go forward with this. So we can learn a lot from Joshua. We can learn a lot of what to do. We can learn a lot of what not to do. But his final speech there in verses, excuse me, chapters 23 and 24, you can gleam a lot from it. God says, it's between you and me. He goes, where is it going to be? Are you serving me or not serving me? And that's the straightforwardness of that. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up then? All righty. Oh, sorry, Andy. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Anybody else got anything before we close up? Okay, let's go ahead and close.